0: Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Chuck Lawless. I'm Caleb Iverson. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Caleb, again, this week I'm excited to have somebody who has been influential in my life. I mentioned a few weeks ago that, that Tom Rayner would be joining us. Tom is the founder and the CEO of Church Answers. He also served as my major professor in my Ph.D. work. He was my boss. He hired me as his assistant, as a student, and then later as a professor at Southern Seminary, and I followed him as dean there. Tom, it is great to have you on Pastor
1: Matters. You left out so much of the introduction, Chuck. There's just so many other things that we could say about our relationship. Don't you want to maybe just put in some anecdotes there instead of that kind of formality? Of, uh... <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I don't, Tom. Let's 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 just. I, mean, I do I think we should. It might be fun for the listeners. You know, you never know. We could tell the stories. <laughs> I'm sure we could. We could well, definitely well, tell well, the stories.
1: Well, I'll be I'll be preaching in chapel, so maybe I'll have a few. When I... <laughs> oh, that's right. That's <laughs> no, right. Sir.
0: When will you be here in chapel?
1: Gosh, I don't know. Okay, I think I, it's I think it's March.
0: Okay, all right. When's the last time you were here in Chapel?
1: It's been it's been two or three years. I, I declined a couple with conflict. I mean, really, really uh, travel conflict. But They came back this time, even though I didn't have conflict, and said, "How about these four extra days and one on work?"
0: Great, great. We look forward to having you here. Well, let's let's start uh, for our listeners, uh, pastors in particular. Introduce us to Church Answers. Give us the background. Give us your heartbeat for this. Uh, I want our folks to know about Church Answers.
1: I'm going to give a long answer, and I know this podcast is not suited for long answers, so we can abbreviate the others. I'm going to give you an answer, Chuck, that you've never heard the full scope of it. Okay. And I, I, I'm just, I, I said this is an opportunity to just maybe tell a story. So you know, you know the different parts of it, but I'm going to put them together. I was led to Christ by my high school football coach. You know that story, they Joe Hendricks. My, my high school football coach uh, named Joe Hendrickson was a dynamic influence in my life. Uh, he brought me into his office. He shared the gospel with me. Later that night, I became a believer. I did not go to church after I did not connect with the church after I became a believer. There are many things that were going on in my hometown. My My parents' church had split multiple times. And by the time it had split to its third or fourth time, they weren't even pushing me to to go to church. So I was this believer without a church home. Uh, I, I cannot say that it's anybody's fault but my own, but I, that's that's where I was. I started dating my wife-to-be Nellie Joe in high school, and then through college, and as we were married, uh, began to get a sense of conviction that maybe now's the time to go to church. Nellie Joe was sure. Wanting to do so and in many ways she was waiting on me uh, because she was she was ready to go and so um, She got pregnant with our first child Sam and Sam was born in February of 80. So in 1979, we started looking for a church home. We found a church home and the contrast between being a Lone Ranger Christian not connected with the body of Christ which I had been through a local body of Christ, let me say that, which I had been all of my Christian life, young as it was to that point, and now being in a church was such a stark contrast that I fell in love with the local church. That's just, I, I was just amazed at how incredible the church was. It was not perfect. It had its flaws. It had its people fussing. It had what any church has. But I saw what God was doing in the church to the local believers for the local believers and what they were doing for the kingdom through the local church. That's the beginning of my passion and my love for the local church. Mm. It was experiential, but it was truly a God type of thing. Now, fast forward. I'm on a fast track in the business world. And even though I'm still relatively young, I'm advancing real fast and making more money than I had. And then God calls me to vocational ministry. I can't. I could give you that story, but it's another time and another testimony. But ultimately, I knew that God was telling me it was time to go to vocational ministry. For me, that meant seminary. Um, back in those days, there was just one not any other choices. Either you went to seminary or you didn't. There was no such thing as uh, the Internet. There was no digital components. And so we packed up and got a U-Haul and went to seminary. And I realized about halfway there that I had made a mistake, not on my call, but I had failed to apply for seminary. (laughs) And so I had to get to seminary and finish my application, uh, walk it in to the registrar's office and say, please, uh, because it was November and I wanted late November and I wanted to start in January for a J term. And so it worked out and I was course of seminary for six years from my two degrees. During that time, I pastored two churches, typically what you call student churches, but the second one became large enough to pay me full-time, and so I became full-time there in the Louisville area, in J-Town, and then ultimately pastored two more churches out of seminary. Every time, I'm increasing my love for the local church. Every time, I'm seeing the flaws and the problems with the local church, but it does not decrease my love at all. And, and during that time, I began to study what many people will say with a, a, a almost a negative type of perspective on it, the church growth movement. Most people who criticize the church growth movement don't know what it means, and that's not a condescending statement, but they don't understand what you and I know about it and the work of Donald McGavern in India with the Bridges of God in 1955 and what a missiological movement it is. Most people see the church growth movement as nickels and noses and not discipleship and true evangelism, but I studied it, and it, it increased my passion for the local church. It was the courses that I took in my master's. It was the focus of my PhD. And you, you, you've heard me talk about it so much, Chuck, and you've heard me even teach about it. You've been a student of mine back in what fifty years or sixty years ago. I remember <laughs> when we when just we were about. Back. And and uh I just have continued to have a love for the local church. Then uh I go back to my alma mater, Southern Seminary, start school, and what is it about? It's, it's it's about evangelism missions and local church. You're you're the first student who calls me before I even get there and uh talk about the PhD program. I say, come on. And uh I think our first real conversation was in Louisville where I was manning a booth for Southern Seminary or something to that effect.
0: That's exactly right.
1: And so you and I together now go on this pilgrimage where we're together learning more about the local church, the original church growth movement, and even beyond that, studying things such as Michael Green's evangelism in the early church and other types of great works on the local church. And, and when it became truly a part of, of um, my life and, and, and what I was doing, it, it, it just, the door started open. Southern Seminary, start a school. Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, Church Growth, become dean. I then go to Lifeway to be CEO, where my focus is more on the local church than anything else. And then from there, I do what I wanted to do from the very beginning, and that was to have my own organization dedicated to the local church, resourcing the local church, helping pastors in the local church, doing all the things that I thought I think we can do for the local church. We're not the only organization like this. In fact, we're we're one of thousands. But that is my passion. And so when I left Lifeway to go to Church Answers, it was all about the local church. That's what we're doing now.
0: Yeah, I didn't know. I've known you for almost 30 years. I didn't know some of the, the testimony. You're not being in church early on. What was it about the church that you fell in love with?
1: Um the true ministry of people toward one another. I okay. mean that began to happen immediately. The I was about to say the koinonia, of the fellowship, but that doesn't fully describe it. Nellie, Joe, and I were a young couple that didn't know anything. And then we have a baby and we're trying to figure out what are we going to do with this baby. And and the people just surround us with love. And so that was part yeah. of it. The second thing was I connected a lot with men in that church. In fact, back in those days, we went to Sunday school. You remember what Sunday school is? Chuck? I do. Okay. Well, back in those days, we went to Sunday school. And Nellie Jo and I made a decision, and I don't even remember specifically why. She decided to go to an all-women's class. I decided to go to an all-men's class. And I connected with these men who, you know, one of them could call me up today, and we would still have a— have a have a great relationship. So it was how they cared for us. It was the connection with men. But I gotta say what was missing in that church, and I saw it right away, and this is a critical comment, but it's true of many churches, was evangelism. Hmm. And the 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 church did it tipped its hat to evangelism, but there was no true evangelistic Great Commission emphasis. And so another thing that caused me to love that church was I said, what are we going to do about this? And that in a critical way to the pastor, instead of him being defensive, what he did was support me and allowed me to start leading the church in that direction as well. Hmm.
0: The college at Southeastern believes that God is at work in this generation, calling out Christians to leverage their lives for the Great Commission. That's why we train students biblically, theologically, and vocationally in community to give their lives for the cause of Christ. In spring 2024, Southeastern will be hosting its annual Go Conference designed to train, challenge, and mobilize college students for the Great Commission. Invite your college group to join us on campus on February 9th and 10th Save the date and sign up for next year's conference at thegoconference.com. Well that's a great segue to the to the Hope Initiative. Uh, the Hope Initiative is a is a strategy, it's a it's a it's a tool for leading churches to begin to turn outward, to, to jumpstart their their evangelistic focus. And so Tom, tell us about HOPE Initiative, how you developed that, and give us some details about it.
1: The HOPE Initiative was not started at Church Answers as a program to help churches. The HOPE Initiative was started in the churches, and Church Answers has become somewhat the megaphone or platform for it. Now, what I mean when I say the HOPE Initiative started at Church Answers I mean, at churches, local churches were doing some things evangelistically. One of the things that they were doing evangelistically, if they were bearing fruit, was they were praying evangelistically. They they, they had people who were praying for those who didn't know Christ. They were highly intentional about coupling prayer with evangelism. Another thing that they did is that they had a systematic, ongoing emphasis on evangelism you combine those two ongoing and prayer Hmm. with evangelism and you have a potent great commission emphasis fewer than one percent of churches in north america have the combination of intentional evangelism to reach the local community and secondly something that is ongoing which we have since defined as at least something once a quarter it could be It could be really ongoing and continuously ongoing. We took those principles. What can we do to help jumpstart evangelism where prayer is coupled with intentional evangelism and then see what God will do? We got it from the churches that were already evangelistic. We learned those principles from them, and we transferred them now to a 30-day emphasis called the HOPE Initiative. Now, very few people know more about the Hope Initiative than Chuck Lawless because he's been instrumental. I'm talking to you in the third person. You want me to talk to you in the second person? You've That's been good. Instrumental? <laughs> uh, you, you, you've been you've been instrumental in doing so much of the Hope Initiative and working with churches in it. But it is a 30-day emphasis. Uh, we make it where it is a not a threatening type of evangelism. One day, somebody is going to be praying. Many people will be praying. The next day, they may be reading Scripture on evangelism. The next day, they may be walking in their neighborhoods, praying for the homes as they walk by home to home. But every day, for 30 days consecutive, we have this focus upon reaching people with the gospel through prayer, through Scripture, and through going. And you know full well, Chuck, what I know. We're seeing some miracle stories that are already taking place. One of my favorites, of course, is the church in Kentucky, uh, about a 45 minutes, I think, from Bardstown, where we've had several testimonies. The church was doing nothing, and now it's seeing people, one, to Christ. We're seeing people uh, get involved in ministries, and it goes on and on.
0: Yeah, you know what I love about the ministry of Tom? Uh, several things. One, anybody can do it. Uh, yes. The the, the training uh, is is minimal. We're really just asking folks to get into the Word and to pray, to walk their streets or drive their streets and see people differently with the, with the eyes of, of Christ. And any church can do it. Any church member can do it. Uh, I think even families can do some things together uh, doing, the, doing the Hope Initiative. And I, I love it because the hope that we have to give to others ultimately also becomes hope for for pastors mm-hmm. because if, if we can get just a group of people and we we started out by saying we want you to enlist just a few people and and equip them to to do this we're beginning to see as you well know we're beginning to see entire churches do the hope initiative now but when when pastors have a even a handful of people who are really committed to turning outward, seeing their community and praying that God would lead them to, to Christ. Just knowing there are people on board can can renew hope for for hurting pastors.
1: We're also seeing an entire denomination, a uh, Free Will Baptist denomination, adopt this as uh their initiative in it's their evangelism initiative, it's their discipleship initiative, and so this thing is this thing is going to go much greater than we had planned, even at our greatest moments of optimism.
0: It's just 30 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it is uh, built around your book, Pray and Go. And tell our listeners how they might learn more about the Hope Initiative.
1: I just go to churchanswers.com. Very simple. And on the home page, you're going to see at least two major uh, points where you can connect with the with Hope Initiative. So churchanswers.com for anybody.
0: And I certainly encourage uh, our pastors to to look at this. One of the strongest tools I've I've seen uh, in my 30 years of working with Tom. Tom, let me go in a different direction. You're talking largely to pastors. You work with pastors. Church Answers connects with pastors all over the country and ultimately all over the world. What what one piece of advice would you give to pastors today? <laughs>
1: It goes back to a book I wrote, and I'm not trying to plug the book, so I'm not going to even name it, but a book I wrote where the first sentence of the book is, it is a sin to be good when God has called us to be great. And, of course, I'm directly referring to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, but my point in that statement is, anybody can get busy doing good things. The question is, are you doing the best or the greatest things? And pastors as much as anyone, because of the demands that upon their lives get so busy doing good things, good pastoral care, good home visits, maybe good committee meetings, uh, good sermon preparation. And you just go down the list that it, they are so busy doing the good that they eliminate the Great Commission. Mm. And the great one of the great tools of Satan to me is the whisper in our ear, you don't have enough time, you're too busy. And past, the, the advice I would have is, pastors, don't forget Acts 6-4. Don't forget that you're supposed to be in the Word and praying, and the result is people being reached for Christ. I mean, from Acts 2 to Acts 6, that's what we're hearing, the importance of the Great Commission, the importance of prayer, the importance of being in the Word. And, and there's so many things that a pastor can do today But I would say make this first and then uh, let your sermon preparation, let your prayer time and let your great commission activity be first and let God then rearrange the rest.
0: Mm. In this room with me, Tom, are two uh, students here at Southeastern uh, thinking about preparing for looking forward to doing ministry. Uh, I trust that that word is a good one for for them, for Caleb and for. And for Zach. Well, you referred to one of your books without naming it. You have written how many books now, Tom? I'm putting you on the spot there, but uh, I'd love I for this guy to I I had do. written
1: 41, and then I saw an article that said I'd written 43. So I don't know if the person who wrote that article is right or if I know how many I've written. All
0: right. Well, you've written a lot. So here's yes. here's the hard question. We ask this to a lot of our guests. What's the one book that you've written that you would most recommend to listeners, particularly to pastors?
1: I I want to say Eating the Elephant because I wrote that book and then you co-authored it with me. And it it has a lot that I would commend. It's an old book, uh, but that's not going to be uh, number one. Another one that I could mention that is very personal to me is a book called Raising Dad that I wrote with Hmm. my son, Art, that you know very well. Yes. And and we we talked to each other back and forth about what fatherhood Is like he tells me how great I was and I tell him how I messed up and we just go back and forth. So that's that's a very personal uh, book for me. I want to be a little more contemporary today and talking about maybe what's my favorite book. And first of all, I think there would be Pray and Go Hmm. uh, just because it's the God is using it. I just I, I can't I can't explain all the ways that God is using that book that is a part of the Hope Initiative. 30 days of launching yourself into a new culture, a new strength, a new dependence on God to do the Great Commission. And I know you said one, and here I'm about to name a fourth, but I would also say a very recent book I wrote called I Believe. And the reason for that book, Chuck, this brings you back into it. You and I created many years ago, I think back, uh, I was trying to remember when you got involved with it. But in, anyway, we, we created what we call the Church Health Survey, or now it's called Know Your Church. And we, 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 we created that tool to help churches understand, church leaders understand uh, where their church is. And here's one of the things we're finding. We ask several doctrinal biblical questions in there. And we're finding it's not just the mainline churches that are abandoning the truth of God's word. Mm. It's self-described evangelical churches that are. And what we're learning is that some of our leaders are not only biblically illiterate, but they're doctrinally aberrant. And I just think I wrote, I believe, as a passion to say, if if anything else, I believe is a jump start to start back in the word, learning God's truth. So I'll probably name two that you did not expect. Maybe you expected to pray and go. That would be number one. But then I believe as a runner up
0: yeah I had not uh I did not expect that to be one, but I agree with you completely that if we don't stand on the word and get our theology right, we're not going to be doing evangelism anyway uh, and we want Correct. we want pastors to share the gospel, lead people to Christ, make disciples and you and I have looked at this over the, over the years. I at least have never seen a strongly evangelistic church without a strongly evangelistic pastor. I just, I just haven't seen it, and we want to help our listeners get there. Well, Tom, thank you for, for joining us for this episode of Pastor Matters.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you for all that you guys are doing at Southeastern. Thank you for your love of missions, for your love of the local church, and for your love of pastors. It shows through.
0: And listeners, thank you again for listening to this episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful consider leaving us a five-star rating and review we'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give as always it's our mission at the center for preaching and pastoral leadership to equip and encourage pastors and hope that we've done that with today's conversation and as always my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the lord your labor is not in vain